Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Greetings. I think you're in for a real treat with this next guest. It is Renee Grant-Williams, who is a legendary vocal coach. And she made such an impression on me that I ended up signing up for singing lessons with her. And she was really good. So she made an impression on me. And I hope she makes an impression on you when she shares these tactics for making your voice make a bigger impression. So you're going to learn, one, the most powerful and underutilized speaking tools, Two, why Renee is obsessed with consonants. And three, benefits of incorporating silence into speeches and negotiations. So if you want to check out the show notes, the transcripts, the links to stuff mentioned here in the episode, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep43. And if you just want those takeaways faster, in an email you can read in under two minutes, sign up for the gold nugget email list while over there at awesomeatyourjob.com. Here's a bit about Renee. Renee Grant-Williams is a vocal coach to Hundreds of successful singers, including legends like Keith Urban, Miley Cyrus, Tim McGraw, Christina Aguilera, and Garth Brooks. She's the author of Voice Power, Using Your Voice to Captivate, Persuade, and Command Attention. She lives in Nashville, Tennessee, and where else would she live with that client list? And I've personally found her quite helpful in my own voice lessons. Here's Renee. Renee, thank you so much for joining us on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thanks for having me, Pete. So you've worked with with many of the, the greatest singers around. Could you share with us maybe a story of a time they worked with you and uh, a breakthrough they arrived at? I've been very blessed with a spectacular clientele. And I find that the professionals didn't get there by accident. Mm. They got there by hard work. And I'm reminded of Miley Cyrus. She was 12. She worked with me for a year and would come running into every lesson, throw her legs around my waist and jump in my arms. Oh. She was bigger than the cat, though, (laughs) which was a problem sometimes. But she she had already become a real little professional. She had her own assistant. And she had her own manager and she had, she wrote songs with the best writers in Nashville and she was singing way too loud. Uh, She was a little tiny thing, but she could belt it out and peel the paint off the walls. (laughs) But that's not, that's hollering. Yeah. That's not singing. And as soon as I got her to settle down, she started really doing well and fought me tooth and nail about settling down and not hollering every time. But in the long run, she was happy that I made her do it. And then I was thinking about Tim McGraw, who came and worked with me at the beginning of his career. And he had a crush, I think, on my secretary. Okay. Cute little blonde. So there's some songs about her, maybe. Probably. (laughs) And... He would come in every week for his lesson, or he was taking two a week or something like that at the time. But every lesson, he would turn up and he would say, have you found me a wife yet? (laughs) He was looking for a wife. I think it was just his way of flirting with Candy, my little secretary. And I think he's done pretty well for himself. Oh, yeah. On his own. We never did 
find him a wife, but he found one on his own and mm-hmm. could hardly do better. Oh, certainly. Yeah. Well, that is fascinating. And thanks for kind of sharing a, a bit into that world. It's, I think it's just encouraging that, you know, even super famous people, Miley Cyrus today, you know, whatever we might think, like she has some singing ability. And even in the early days, it wasn't perfect. And you were able to to highlight some things and, and make it better. So Linda Ronstadt's another one. She likes to work with somebody sort of all the time because she has this inquiring mind that seems to feel there's always something new to learn. And I hadn't seen her for 20 years. She called the other day out of the blue and said, Renee, it's Linda. And I'm saying, okay, uh, do I have students named Linda? Mm-hmm. But it was like, she didn't say, this is Linda Ronstadt calling you. She said, it's Linda. And she wanted some help with uh, some speaking things. It just amused me that she was still so much in student mode that she thought she was still a student. Mm-hmm. And it's people like that who are better because they take the time to get better. Mm. And I'd rather work with a excited amateur than a bored professional anytime. It's the ones who think they have nothing to learn that fall off the map. Oh, amen. Well, well, you are talking to a group of folks who love learning and are excited about doing so. And so I will proceed to hopefully extract as much good stuff as we can cram into, into these minutes we have together with regard to making your voice more powerful, more, more resonant and effective in, in kind of all sorts of professional environments. So maybe to start off with, you've also coached a number of professional speakers and, and professionals. Can you share with us, how do the skills of singers and, and that voice work translate over to professionals? That's a good question, Pete. It's because it's the same It translates easily because it's the same thing. Your body is an instrument. It has the same resonance. It responds to the same stimuli. And it has to be cared for and trained into a kind of muscle memory Mm -hmm. that allow it to operate on automatic. Okay. And uh, speaking is just singing on random rather than organized pitches. Okay. So if you think of it that way, it's just singing. Singing is just speaking. The best singers are the ones who speak to us, who touch the heart, not the ones who sing the loudest. Just like the loudest person in the room is not necessarily the one everyone listens to. Sometimes the use of silence is important. Silence is just another sound. It's like any other sound. It just happens to be real, real quiet. And silence in business is very important. The person who has the courage not to keep rambling on when they're in negotiation is the one who holds all the power. Mm. And it's the same in music. If you can take someone to the end of a line and make them wait, it's like waiting for the other shoe to drop. It has higher personal power. Oh, I like that. I like that. Okay, so I'm on board. So talk to us a little bit about this power. So what are some of the ingredients or or components or segments of our our voices or our vocal expression that that lead to it being perceived as as powerful versus 
I guess the opposite, impotent. Right. Well, there are two main branches of voice training, I feel. One is the physical gymnastics of training the voice, the body, and the breath to work together. And that involves breathing, support, and resonance. And the other is the second branch is the elements that make up the expression and the communication and the things that bring us together as people. If you master both of those, it sounds natural. If you can hear technique in somebody's singing or speaking, then it probably wasn't a very good technique mm -hmm. because technique should be invisible and you should feel the benefits. You would miss it if they weren't there, but you should not be able to put your finger on it, except for me. Uh -huh. Okay, so in practice then, uh, if, I'm, if I'm doing some, some training, uh, what am I trying to do? Uh, I guess I've, I've heard advice that to be an engaging speaker, your, your voice should have some vocal variety in terms of your, your pacing, the speed at which you're speaking, your, your pitch or tone, as well as your volume. But is, is that a good prescription or, or how should we think about the variables and what we're, we're shooting for? Right, we have options. We have pitch, as you mentioned. We have volume. We can speak loudly. We can speak softly. You have change of timbre, change of the voice color also. You could be speaking along very fluidly and suddenly get raspy and angry as could be. Hmm. And you can use consonants and you can use silence. If you use silence, you have people waiting for you like I did just then. I was waiting, I'll admit. And it's like conducting. An orchestra conductor has to signal everything one beat ahead of the orchestra. So they have to set up. You get set up by consonants. If you remember from fourth grade, consonants and vowels. Mm -hmm. What are vowels? A-E-I-O-U, sometimes Y and W. And consonants are everything else. But you can use a consonant if I want to say something that I really like you, I really like you. You don't say that word necessarily louder, but you say it longer and it gives the impression of louder. Okay. And so for the consonant point there, you said, I really like you. I said, I really, I went immediately to the er. I really like you. I didn't hold on. I really like you. I didn't hold on to the vowel. Okay. I held on to the consonant. Consonants are my favorite thing in the world, probably. Okay. Consonants have so much power, and they turn a song, an ordinary song, into a, a letter of communication or something. They make us wait for, we create a kind of silence when we, a kind of silence. Hmm. Oh, that's, wow, you, I just felt that. Nice job. <laughs> and you have, we, when we speak, we speak in a kind of cadence beat, uh -huh. like a rhythm. And if you speak in that cadence and someone interrupts the cadence, you're ha left there hanging on, waiting for the other shoe to drop. And that's what consonants do for a person's speech. And you can say the same thing many different ways. If we were to 
talked many what to your teenage kids. Okay. And you were saying you weren't crazy about the kids they were hanging around with, but I still love you. Is the sentence I'd like to use. All right. Or we how about we still love you? We still love you. That's better. We still love you. We're your parents. And we still love you. It doesn't matter what those other kids' parents think. We <laughs> still love you. And no matter how bad you've been, we still love you. We don't hate you. You're wrong. We still love you. And we don't care about what others, other kids care about. We don't care that their parents don't keep an eye on them. We still love you. I hear you. Yes. So there are four different ways to say that, at least four. By lengthening the consonant, you direct how you want your material to be digested. The consonants are the most powerful tool I know of. Okay. So I mean, I'm hearing that, you know, in a way, you've, you've emphasized different words in that sentence, you know, we still love you. But, but you're saying the key to emphasizing it well is to linger on the consonant instead of the vowel when you do so. Yes, because we still love you doesn't get it. Uh-huh, okay. Just speaking on it, but we still love you, that doesn't get it. We still love you. We still love you. We still love you. We still love you. Yeah, Okay, that's. I've never thought about this before. This is really kind of eye-opening and fun. Thank you. It is. I love it. Yeah. I've always been taught. See, most of us singers have been taught to sing on the vowels and to present. I remember one teacher saying, "Present your vowels on a silver platter, dear, and just try to get through those pesky consonants until you can open up your voice on another vowel." But people hmm. don't talk that way to each other. No. They have use a good combination of vowels. Vowels, you have to have them because they carry the tone. But you're always going to have something carry the tone. And if you sacrifice your consonants, you might as well stay at home. Okay. <laughs> Quote it. That's, that's really powerful and eye-opening. So I'm on board. Enunciate the consonants. What are some other gems along those lines? Well, the breathing is important. And I think that's another one of the things that sets me off. Oh, do tell. Other, I'm still alive. I have a system I call passive breathing. It's like no effort mm. because you just open your throat and feel your tongue drop back down your throat and let the air come in. Huh. <laughs> that feels kind of weird. <laughs> sucking it in instead of pulling it in, instead of drawing it in. You just open, you know those grandmother sink drain rubber, what are they called? The rubber plugs, drain oh, plugs. Oh, right, right, right. Plugs in, in the bathtub or something. I've had them around. And there's a flat, kind of it's like a flat pancake. And if you had a sink full of dishes and water and you pulled the plug away, what would happen to the water in the sink? It drained down. Well, the same thing will happen with air. If you give it a space, it will take it. If you open up your body and imagine that your lungs are somewhere down around your navel and you just drop the air down there, you don't have to fill. You don't have to do anything except you squeeze it back out again to make a sound. So it's passive breathing. 
Well, that'll actually really come in handy on this podcast. When I record the intros and the, or the opener closer tidbits, I'm watching my waveform and I can see that it, you know, it gets a little bit shorter as I'm running out of breath until I take another big breath. But you're saying I don't need to take a big breath at all. Just open and take enough air in to satisfy your oxygen needs. Then don't go beyond your oxygen needs. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm sold. What else you got for us? Elongate the consonants. I'm oh, sorry. Elongate the consonants. <laughs> and just uh, drop the tongue and open the throat to let passive air come on in. Those are great. What, what else you have along those lines? Phrasing and rhythm. They're more important than you think. And they're more important in public speaking than we realize. Because people are affected by the rhythm. We tend to move, as I said before, in a cadence. Cadence that's free form, but still a cadence nevertheless. And so that means there's a rhythmic structure to our sentences. There certainly is in music, and there is also a rhythmic structure to speech. And you can take and make a a person hold hold their attention over the over a break of quite a substantial a break. And if you leave a person up and then catch them on the backside, you're leaving like an arc. Hmm. The trick is to leave them up and then pick it up and bring it back down again. Because if you let it drop down and let it drop down, it'll go nowhere. Okay. But you can bridge over a chasm by leaving it up and then picking it up where the exact same pitch you left. Okay, so that's that's particularly if if I'm looking to have a pause in there for them to think about it for a while. I, I want to say, how about you think about this? Now, don't you regret your decision? <laughs> I, I don't know. Let's get an example there. You did right. <laughs> think about this. This is what I was talking about. Uh-huh. Okay, Now, now that's a little bit, but at the same time, we learned from Anshul, who helped design the speech coaching app Umo in a previous episode, 24-ish, about so a number of voice coaches warned about upspeak when some sentences can sound like a question. But you're, you're not, it's not as dramatic as that upspeak. It's more of, a, of a, subtle t- a subtle taking it up. Taking it up, obviously not as far as the upspeak that mm-hmm. they're discussing. And we've all been traumatized by the valley girl. Traumatized. <laughs> by the valley girl syndrome. Mm-hmm. Where it's leaving it up, and it's leaving it up, and it's leaving it up, and relentlessly. None of these are tricks you want to use every time. You want to choose your battles wisely. Understood. Well, I think I could I could passively breathe all the time, so I'm looking forward to doing that. Anything else beyond... Sports? Do you, do you do... What exercise do you do? Exercise? You, oh, just like for fitness? Yes. Well, uh, this morning I had, a, I had a good little run. It's mostly a combination of, of running and then sort of uh, strength training. It's a good time to practice your breathing patterns. If you're lifting weights or working on machines, the equivalent of working on weights, use take advantage of that time to work on your breathing. And it's easier to remember when you're going, 
it's easier to remember to use your body and practice your breathing during your downtimes where you're still awake and moving around. Your body is your instrument, and that's the bottom line. All right. With your body, everything that goes into your body and into your brain affects your voice. And you all know the rules. No smoking, no excessive caffeine, no dairy products if you find you have an adverse reaction to them. If you think of your body as being an instrument, oh, I remember what it was. Do tell. Mostly, if you want to improve your speaking, start listening. If you start listening to other people's voices and the way they express themselves and what's, what seems to work and doesn't seem to work, I don't think people listen, sing with their ears quite enough. They mm-hmm. are speak with their ears. You have to hear the phrase. You have to hear where you want to go with it. You have to know in your mind what you want to accomplish with it. You have to know how long you want it to take to get you there. And you never give up the ship. Mm-hmm. Okay, that sounds good. Well, and so you've given us a few things to start doing with regard to elongating consonants and such. Are there a few things that speakers should stop doing? You know, like there's some mistakes, some bad habits that they should work on cutting out? In general, speakers? Right. I'm just thinking, uh, you know, in a professional environment, maybe you're doing a presentation or you're just uh, communicating, collaborating with your your colleagues. What are some speech things should stop? Ums. Okay. And they're hard to, I was watching a political rally the other night and I was noticing how so many of the politicians and speakers said, um, on a regular basis. If your voice is pitched too high, You want your voice to represent your vision of you. If it's pitched too high, then you're talking up here like this all the time, and people can grow weary of a high-pitched voice. Mm -hmm. High-pitched voice signals inexperience because it's the voice of children and young women, and it signals lack of experience. But a deeper, more resonant voice signals experience and age. And there's a trade-off there. I see like youthfulness versus experience. It's like the Just for Men commercial for having a little bit of gray hair. (laughs) Understood. Well, anything else? So there's the vocal pauses, the ums, those should go. And then watching the, the pitch. What else? Use silence. Silence is a very powerful sound. It's just as important as all the other sounds you would make except it's just a whole lot quieter. And what are the best times to incorporate silence? Negotiation is a great time to incorporate silence. Our Asian business partners seem to know how to create silence that make Amer- will make Americans squirm. <laughs> because we're always such good guys. We want to rush in and fill up what we perceive as an embarrassing hole in the conversation. But it's because we flinch first and step in. We're so willing to accommodate. We feel responsible for the accommodation of everyone's ideas and comfort that we let ourselves wide open to being trumped because we don't, because we give up our right to silence. And silence is very powerful. 
very powerful. So negotiation makes great sense is that they, they squirm a little bit. It's uncomfortable. Are there other times that silence is also handy in professional settings? Well, I think if your child comes asking for something she doesn't need and shouldn't want, I think instead of negotiating with her, you could try silence. No, that makes a statement. <laughs> it's such a powerful tool, if, especially if you leave a question in the air. Okay, well, this is a nice collection here. Is there anything else you'd want to make sure that we discuss about speech power before we shift gears a little bit and, and hear about some of your favorite things? I think we've covered a lot. Oh, me too. And, and it's, uh, it's so good. So well, let's, let's hear then. Can you start us off by sharing what's a favorite quote of yours, something you find inspiring? It, Doris Lessing. That is what learning is. You suddenly understand something you've understood all your life, but in a new way. Oh, excellent. How about a favorite study or piece of research? I did at Stanford University, at the Stanford University Artificial Intelligence Research Center. They did three experiments for voice that was to go in the, the space shuttle after Challenger. Mm. Challenger was next in line, and then this one, they used my voice in three experiments. And I always had this feeling that maybe aliens were smart enough to know how to piece a whole person together from the voice. <laughs> and that this was my one opportunity to get out of this world alive. <laughs> and that if I could get my voice to outer space, I would be okay. And then the darn Challenger exploded. And they scrapped the program. Mm. So there went my one chance at immortality. Well, that's fascinating. Thank you. And how about a favorite book that you've enjoyed reading? Oh, boy. I'm a big reader. I don't know if I have a favorite. Well, that's fine. Uh, how about a, a favorite tool, whether that's a piece of hardware or software or a gadget or, or something that you find helpful? I still am old-fashioned enough that I use cassettes to tape my lessons because it's so easy to go back and listen to a little snippet. And I just got my first smartphone last weekend. Huh? How about that? Good phone. I had a Motorola Razor. That was so I hard. remember those. You remember them? I sure do. And I just got an iPhone this past weekend. And it's not my favorite tool yet. Okay. Well, maybe it'll get there, maybe not. How about a favorite habit? Is there a personal practice of yours that's been really key for your effectiveness? Just, I've been an exerciser all my life. I t I've been taught aerobics for four years. Your body is your temple. Mm -hmm. But when I discovered consonants, I was walking through the bedroom and saw on television Jefferson Starship. Mickey Thomas was up there singing, we built this city, we built this city on the rock and the roll, we built this city. Mm -hmm. And I I had one of those epiphanies where a lightning flash comes and gets you right between the eyes. And I stopped mid-step and said, oh, my goodness. You mean it's not vowels after all, but consonants that are, are important when you sing? And within a week, I had created a system to teach it and define it. And, yeah, consonants are still my favorite thing ever. Cool. And I found a way to teach it and to grow and have it spread out to all forms of communication. And I seem like I'm obsessed with them, but it's true I am. 
That's the way it works with, with innovation. You know, great minds become very focused on a narrow thing and, and then great things happen from that. So that's, I think it, the world is, is blessed that you've been obsessed with them. I remember what it was. I was going to talk about phrasing. Most, if you listen carefully, most of the songs you'll hear on the radio, no matter what genre, have a push at the end of the bar. The bar. At the end of the phrase, mm-hmm. and a singer of the band's going to play with, with, with the push. And most singers don't follow the band's lead, and they, most singers take it very straight and don't push ahead. So there's a disparity between the, the band. And what you're doing. And if you don't push toward the end, you run the risk of having your music feel like it's dragging. Mm. That's what I was going to tell you before. Oh, thank you. It needs to push and carry the energy over the bar line. So you don't sing da 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 da. You don't sing just straight. Does that make any sense? Oh, I hear you. Yeah, certainly. So you, you want to be in, in the but, right groove and, and matching up there. Exactly. And the same thing happens, works well in speech. You can pull your ideas together and a consonant at the beginning of the word is a signal to a heads up that something important is about to come. A consonant at the end of a word is to give you time, the listener time, to reflect on what has just been said. So we have two ways that we highlight. It's like taking a yellow highlighter and highlighting the words to push ahead mm-hmm. and also determine how much attention you want to give to the, to the consonant. Now, we don't need consonants on ah, uh, and ing. The money words are the only words we really need to put in consonants. And be careful you don't push. See, I'm talking about consonants again. Mm-hmm. Careful you don't push too far with the consonant. And, and would you say that there's a, an ideal way, if folks want to learn more about you or, or get in touch, where would you point them? I'd say go to my website, which is myvoicecoach. Myvoicecoach.com. .com. Great domain. I have books. I have a CD package, DVD package. I have warm-ups. And... All this stuff is discussed in my the new membership site I'm building. You can find a lot of information about me there. And more than consonants. Uh, lovely, lovely. Do you have a, a final challenge or call to action that you'd like to leave people with who are seeking to be more awesome at their jobs? Yes. Be arrogant with your consonants. Oh, arrogant. You just mean like bold and, and out there. Bold and out there. Okay, can do. Well, Renee, thanks so much. This has been a ton of fun and I wish you lots of luck with your your website stuff and enjoying all that Nashville has to offer. 
Thank you, Pete. I don't know about you, but I've got, we built this city stuck in my head still from this conversation. And I think it's a small price to pay for the insights that uh, Renee had to share there. And if you want to review some of these items, the show notes, the transcripts, things mentioned, that's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F43. And if you haven't punched the subscribe button, I'd, I'd ask that you do so you don't miss great guests like next up, ABC's Dan Harris. That's right. The anchor. He has some great perspective when it comes to calming your mind and a practice that he believes can make you more productive and 10% happier, which he'll share on the episode. So hope to catch you then. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. 